how's everyone going? Yeah. Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, Beck was um, wel welcoming lots of people this morning and saying, Happy Valentine's Day! And I was like, but they're not all your Valentines. This is kind of weird that you're saying that to every person. And uh, she's like, no, but you know, everyone, we love everyone. And it's like, all right, so, so there you go, that's my wife. And um, on, on the other hand, I was just like, let's get on with stuff. Let's get into um, the gathering this morning. But I'm looking forward to Pietro, everyone looking forward to Pietro. We've got a couple of flavors. I have no idea what they are, um, but there's going to be good fun. Um, it, it is a gold coin donation thing. If you don't have a gold coin, uh, beg, borrow, steal. Um, it will work something out. We'll make sure everyone gets a scoop, hey? But all right, we are in the middle of a series called How to Live with Humans. I am really excited. Uh, I got lots of good feedback last week that um, the content that we are covering uh, is going to be really helpful, useful, practical. Um, at the same time, uh, just so that people remember, I am not actually going to be talking too much about the application of these principles. I'm simply going into the Word of God, trying to find out what these principles are. And then uh, in week four, so in two weeks' time, we'll be doing something something called Circle Sunday. Instead of sitting in rows, you'll be sitting in circles. And in these circles, you will be uh, in a group uh, talking a little bit and discussing about the application of these principles. Maybe also looking for a little bit of clarification if you need to about these uh, principles, because I understand that some of these are going to be a little bit um, different to what you might have expected. I think that's what uh, the main uh, feedback that I got from last week was that, wow, I never thought about love that way. If you haven't heard last week's message, it's on our podcast, and um, I hope that is really useful because healthy relationships is something that we all need need is something that we all uh, are designed for, and so it's something that we need to make sure that we are putting as a priority in terms of how we order our lives. To help us prepare for Circle Sunday, we do have a text message um, uh, service number thing that will come up on the screens. Make sure you text in your questions. I think that this week uh, is particularly going to bring about some questioning uh, on how to apply these principles um, that I'm going to be talking about. So make sure you text in those questions to help us prepare for week four of our How to Live with Humans series. Anyway, last week we spoke about love and we spoke about mutual submission. We spoke about how love as a standard is agape love, is God's love towards us, is unconditional love. It's something that we need to aspire to, but unfortunately, being humans, we probably can't really reach that kind of a standard. But what the Bible then teaches us is that we practice philia or friendship and storge, uh, which is a, a familial caring kind of a love. So instead of uh, um, looking at being unconditionally loving to every single human being on this earth, at the very least, learn how to walk with people, learn how to care for people, uh, and, and invest into that. The word that the Bible uses is to devote uh, ourselves to one another with this philia. And, and so that's what we talked about. And then at the same time, we talked about how to practice philia is that we need to mutually submit to one another. We spoke about mutual submission, not just simply being, I will do whatever you tell me to do because I am a nice, good Christian boy. That's not what a mutual submission is about. Mutual submission is about, I subject myself to your needs, to your advice, to your teaching, to your correction, and you do the same. And when we both have this, then we have mutual submission, which allows us to then practice philia, walking alongside people in our lives, right? 
So I know I just did a two-minute recap of a 40-minute message, so make sure you go back to the podcast if you want to know a bit more about that. But as we were talking about mutual submission, something came up, and I had prepared for that, and that is that we need to know who to mutually submit to. We need to know how to mutually submit to people. We need to, in other words, have boundaries. And one of the things that I've learned over my life as a pastor is that Christians are particularly terrible at boundaries. Why? I think, this is my thinking, I think that Christians believe that they need to be nice. I think that they believe that the Bible tells us to love everyone. And so because we love everyone, we need to be caring for everyone. And in the meantime, that means that we have no boundaries to our love. I have heard so many Christians say, because I need to practice the love that God has commanded me to live out, I have an open door policy where people can come into my house at any time. If they need anything, my pantry is open to them. If they need someone to, to have a cry to, I will be that. Like, that is absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. That is, what about your wife, your husband, your kids? What about your dog? Uh, maybe let's not go there, but, <laughs> but what about your household? And what about yourself? I've seen so many pastors burn out because they keep giving and believe that their life is all about giving, that the more that they give, they have less to give. But then they believe that whatever little they have, they still need to give because that's the sacrificial love that God commands us to give. But that is not what is found in the Bible. Do you believe that Jesus is the embodiment of God? That means that Jesus is the embodiment of agape love, right? Following my train of thought so far, God says that I am love and Jesus is God, so Jesus is love, right? Following me so far? Now, when you look into Jesus and his life in the Bible and the example that he gives to us, Jesus does something in his life called boundaries. And it's actually something that is beautiful and powerful and necessary for us as Christians. First and foremost, we read that he had 12 disciples, right? But out of those 12 disciples, he had an inner circle of three. So he had three disciples. So he had three disciples. Who knows who they are? Peter, James, and John. That wasn't a trick question, by the way. And you don't get chocolates, you get ice cream after the, the gathering. But he had three disciples, which means that, simple math, he had nine other disciples that he had in the, maybe the next ring around him. Now, if Jesus is unconditional love, why did he have three disciples that were closer to him than nine other disciples? Why? Because Jesus understood the principle of boundaries. And then on top of that, the Bible actually describes that there are a whole bunch of followers of Jesus. This included some of them that, they called, that he called friends. They were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were friends. They, they, they hosted Jesus. Jesus had a friendship with them, but they did not have the kind of access to him that Peter and James and John did, right? And then on top of that, we have something, a group of people that I'm going to call the crowd, so the crowd were a bunch of people that loved Jesus' messages as long as it fit with their viewpoint of the world. 
And so the crowd are very fickle. The crowd one moment will be like, Jesus, you're the only way, the truth, and life. The next moment is like, why would anyone want to follow this madman? That was the crowd. Jesus did not spend the same amount of time and investment in the crowd as he did with his three top disciples. Correct? Following me? And then on top of that, he also related to another group of people who I'm just going to call the Pharisees. They included the Sadducees and all the other sad people uh, that Jesus had to relate to. And the Pharisees, Jesus actively opposed, publicly opposed. Jesus, the embodiment of agape love, had no problem looking at the Pharisees in the eye and saying, you whitewashed tombs, you brood of vipers, you guys should not come any closer because salvation is not for you. This is the God of love that we're talking about. Why did Jesus do that? It's because Jesus understood boundaries. At the same time, we also have accounts when a Pharisee was uh, humble enough to come to Jesus and say, I want to learn more from you. Jesus gave that Pharisee time. But he did not relate to the Pharisees according to their value system. He related to the Pharisees according to his value system. And so when Nicodemus came to him in the middle of the night, not wanting to be seen by anyone else, came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what must I do to find life? Jesus didn't say, you Pharisee, you whitewashed tomb, get away from me because salvation's not for you. He actually said to Nicodemus, this is how you find it. He actually taught Nicodemus. Nicodemus, possibly, you could argue that he was part of the crowd, maybe even part of the followers. He had no problem with relating to people differently based on boundaries. So what we need to understand is that all of us as human beings, we actually set boundaries in our life. Some of these boundaries are set for us. For example, we have a skin and that is a boundary. And that is necessary. I am not you and you are not me. Children actually have to learn that. It's kind of fascinating because as, as, as Beck and I go through uh, the parenting journey, we, we learn that at some point a baby learns that it's not his mum. It's like, what? But because they learn it at three months old, we kind of forget about that. But babies even have to learn that, hey, look, I'm not you and you're not me. We are separate people. So there's a boundary of skin, there's a boundary of time. There's only X amount of time that I can have to give to people. So I'm not going to give to every single one of you the same amount of time as one another, just simply because there isn't enough time to give to every single person. There is that. And so we understand that there are certain boundaries that are there for us, but they are all of us subconsciously, at the very least, some of you are deliberate about it, which is fantastic, but all of us set boundaries with our life. Think about it. Who do you spend the most time with? Who do you uh, relate to? How do you relate to people? What kinds of people do you relate to? You have already set boundaries for your life. The question, the principle that I want to teach you is that healthy relationships come from a place of healthy boundaries. Okay? And I want to just put something out there, which might get me in trouble, but I'm going to do it anyway. There is this interesting story that I come back to where, especially for some cultures, family is so important, right? Blood family. Jesus had a, a, a mum and he had brothers. And at one time in the, in the Gospels, this, uh, his mum and brothers came to him and were trying to restrain his ministry because they thought that he was a madman. And what did Jesus say? He didn't relate to them here. No, he didn't put 
Oh, what was that? Oh, that was terrible. I made Jesus black. Um, so we would, a lot of us think that mum and siblings should be right here, right? Jesus actually, when they opposed his ministry and his call, he put them right out into the crowd. He said, who are my mothers and brothers? The ones who are here with me. The ones who are obeying my voice. Blood does not give anyone a right to come right into your inner circle. I'm just putting this out there. I said it was going to get me in trouble with some people, but it's absolutely true. Jesus demonstrated boundaries for us. So the question that we have to have is, what and how do we set healthy boundaries? What are boundaries all about? The Bible actually has a lot to tell us about this. Let's look at Proverbs 22, verses 24 to 25, and it says this, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Look at this. You don't make friends with a hot-tempered person, a person easily angered, or you may learn their ways. You may learn their ways. What we need to understand is that every single human being comes with their ways. Whether we want to or not, every single one of us has a set of values, has a culture, have behaviors that we normally uh, act out, and those are our ways. And so what Proverbs teaches us is that you do not bring into your inner circle someone whose ways are not in alignment with yours. Pin drop. Is it getting there? You do not allow someone into your inner circle based on whether they're good looking, based on whether they are treating you nice, based on how you feel when you're around them. You base it according to their ways and whether it is in alignment with yours. In other words, if you need to set, for us to set healthy boundaries, we need to understand one, our ways. What are the ways that we are meant to be living out? What are the values? What are the behaviors? What is the culture that we are setting for ourselves? Because when we know what our ways are meant to be, according to the Word of God, by the way, as Christians, then we are able to then judge someone else and their behaviors and their ways according to this and say, is this something that should be inside and in my inner circle, or is this someone that should be outside of the inner circle? When Jesus uh, confronted his mom and, br and, and his brothers, and he said that these people are not actually allowing me to live out the ways of God, and so right now, in this moment, now Jesus respected his mom, Jesus honored his mom, his mom came around and understood what he was trying to do, at his death, his mom was at the cross. All right, so I'm not saying that you kick someone out of your life, especially family, but what I'm saying is that there are circles and boundaries that we need to set in our life based on our ways and based on the other person's ways. Following me so far? Uh, Paul echoes this thought in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33. He says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. That is pretty clear. 
Who are you keeping company with? Now, particularly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul was talking about false teachers. He was talking about people who were trying to get Christians away from their ways. Does that make sense? And so what we need to understand is that the company we keep has an influence on our ways. The people that we surround ourselves with necessarily will speak into who we are as people and where we are going as people. It doesn't always have to be uh, negative because sometimes they go, oh, bad person, bad person. But it's also about good people in good ways. See, in Proverbs 18 verse 24, it says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I want you to note this. Because I don't think that this is by accident that this was written this way. This proverb was written this way. Because it says, one who has unreliable friends, plural, multiple, one who has many friends who are unreliable, soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I'm wondering if some of us enjoy having many friends and we are not choosy enough about who they are, and we're not looking for the one who we can actually bring closer, that we can mutually submit to, that we can practice filia with. This is important. We are not here on this earth trying to build a crowd around our lives. We are trying to primarily know who are the inner circle people before we start to expand and build on the other people in our lives. That is what we need to do because the ones who are closest to us will speak to us. They will show us the ways of God, or at least they're supposed to, so that we can grow. Uh, Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. God's primary way of growing us is through people. God's primary way of helping us grow is through people. I think that in this day and age with technology, we've got to be very careful because we have a lot of acquaintances, but not a lot of friends. We have a lot of people that surround us, that know us, but not a lot of people that are able to really sharpen us the way that God desires us to. Now, I've heard this verse used in a negative way. It's like, you know, when you have friction with people and all that kind of stuff. Yes, true. But I would like to flip those other Proverbs around as well. It, instead of associating with hot-tempered people who will lead us along their ways, what about if I associate, I associate with godly, wise people and I will learn their ways? Isn't that great that there is wisdom for us to glean off one another? I think it's really cool that we've got a church, a community that is meeting together without masks on. We can see each other, we can relate to one another, and ultimately help each other grow. That's what this is all about. So we need to have boundaries, and we need to set boundaries. So what are your non-negotiables when it comes to the different boundaries of your life? What are things that you have found as principles in God's Word to help you set these boundaries? What are wise things to set in your life. If Jesus only had three in his innermost circle, should you have 20? If Jesus only had 12 within the first two circles, should you have 50? 
Are you spending more time with people in the crowd who are fickle and change their minds? Or are you spending more time with people who can really grow with you? How are you setting your boundaries? Boundaries are real. They are physical boundaries sometimes. They, they, they are reality. How much time are you spending with people? Who are you spending time with? Are you always responding to that friend who is always perpetually in dramatic need? Or are you actually spending more time with someone who stirs up your love for God? Why is it that our Christian world, sometimes we spend more time trying to convert the Pharisees than spending time with people who actually love God? It's not saying that Jesus didn't relate to the Pharisees, but Jesus spent more time with the people that he was trying to build. Those 12 disciples went on to change the world. Those Pharisees did nothing except wait for destruction to come. Jesus knew his priorities based on his boundaries. When we don't know what our boundaries are, we don't know how to prioritize our day and our time. And that's why, for me, one of my boundaries is that I have a day off every week where I don't respond to your messages, so I spend time with Beck and my son. You don't call me selfish for that. You call me wise for that. If you want a pastor who is there for you 24-7 for every dramatic crisis you have, you will have a dead pastor within six months. One of the things that I learned when I studied counseling was this, and this really, this was an image that stuck in my mind. Counseling is like surgery. And how you are going as a person is the sharpness of your scalpel. And so, some of us are trying to be nice, great Christian people helping others, but you are blunt as heck. You are trying to do surgery on someone with no sharpness to you, and you're like, come on, let me get to that place of your hurt. It's like, no, you're the one hurting me. Back off. You know, as a counselor, I very quickly, I'm not actually a counselor, but when I was studying counseling, I very quickly learned that my sharpness is far more important than the number of people I serve. Yes. Wow. My quality as a person that can come alongside someone yeah. is far more important than being blunt and serving a hundred extra people. Wow. And this is something that I've been learning as a pastor as well. I want to be leading this church for decades, not for six years. I want to be here when I am retired and still be able to have plenty to give. I don't want to burn out and do something stupid in my life because I've given everything within the first two years. My best years are still to come because I'm still investing into myself. Some of you don't understand boundaries and so without all of this, you just have one glob of people in your life. You don't end up investing in the right relationships and you don't end up growing as you should. So you need to know your non-negotiables. Who are you letting into your life? And not just who are you letting into your life, who are you bringing into your life? One of the things I've been learning as a dad is that my son does not know who's a safe person and who is not. Because he's 15 months old. He hasn't seen a lot of the world. He thinks that the world's all about food, plants, and sleep. That's basically what keeps him happy. And so he doesn't know what a safe person is from a bad person, and so as a parent, I teach him who to bring into his life. 
I invite people over to our house so that Sam begins to know who he can have in his life, who are safe people. I help him draw those boundaries. How are you drawing those boundaries for yourself? Do you need someone else to show you how to draw those boundaries? Boundaries are highly important things. But I want to talk about something else. You see, when we bring people into our lives, let me get rid of... When we bring people into our lives, we bring people into our lives. We don't bring robots. We don't bring predictable substances. We bring people into our lives. And when we bring people into our lives, they carry their ways. We've talked about this. And as perfect a human being as you are, you are flawed. And so the chances are, is that even though I might have drawn really healthy boundaries for my life, chances are I'm going to have someone in these circles, especially, that's going to hurt me. That is going to break expectation. You see, what boundaries do is that they are, well, how, how boundaries are produced is that they are based on our expectations. They're based on our expectations on how people should act. On, on who would value me, on who would cherish this friendship, on who would help me to grow. And so there's this expectation, because remember, it's not one-way submission, it's mutual submission. That's what's happening in the inner circles. And so when I bring someone to an inner circle, I have higher expectations of who they are, right? And the chances are they are going to stuff up at some point in their life, which means that they are going to hurt me. And when they hurt me, another way to talk about this is that it's a boundary violation. I brought you into my life because you're supposed to love me. I brought you into my life because you are supposed to help me grow. I brought you into my life so that you could support me. I didn't bring you into my life to betray me. I didn't bring you into my life to abandon me. I didn't bring you into my life to say those things that really hurt. I didn't bring you into my life to make my life a disaster, but it can happen. Boundary violations. And so what seems to happen when our boundaries have been violated is that we hurt. And that's why someone from the crowd, if you know that they are from the crowd, they can't hurt you because they're not that close to you. You know, when the crowds left Jesus, Jesus didn't go, oh, oh, hang on, hang on. Let me change my message. Don't leave me. No, no, Jesus is like, go. In one, one of those times, um, he, he was talking to the crowd, and the crowd was saying, give us uh, the bread of life. And then Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And they were all like, oh, this is too hard. And they all started to leave, except for the 12. And then Jesus says to the 12, what about you? What are you going to do? And Jesus knew that he chose correctly because those 12 turned around and said, you have life. And so why would we leave? They got him and they stayed with him. Why did I bring that up? So anyway, when we are, so yes, Jesus wasn't concerned with how the crowd saw him. He was concerned with how he was relating to the inner circles. But even so, these people get it wrong. Peter, in particular, in the Bible, gives us lots of experiences where he gets it wrong. <laughs> he gets it terribly wrong. He rebukes Jesus from time to time. It's like, mm, who do you say I am, Peter? Oh, you are the Son of God. And I will tell you, Son of God, how you're supposed to live out your mission. 
In that moment, Jesus turned and said, get behind me, Satan. I was like, oh gosh. Imagine having that kind of vulnerability in your inner circle. And from time to time, it's like, Sandy, I love you, but you are Satan. It's like, whoa, that's pretty, not saying that you should say that ever, okay? That's not how I'm saying to do it. We don't really have the full picture. That's not what I'm talking about, who to call Satan today. Uh, But boundary violations occur. And if we are not careful, Boundary violations will lead us to change our boundaries. There's so many people that I've met that instead of having all of these circles, I'm not saying that that's the right amount of circles to have, by the way. I'm just saying that in the Bible it describes these circles. But for some people, because they have been hurt, me isn't really me, it's just that person. They don't have inner circles anymore because this inner circle is out of bounds to every single human being. That boundary is people suck. Some of you have this, so don't laugh. Some of us don't actually have an inner circle anymore because we think that people suck. And so what we end up with is all these people in nice, big, friend zone. We don't make any distinction between people in our lives. I have met people like that. And some of these people are actually the most friendly people. Because they like accumulating all of these friends in the friend zone. And it makes them feel as though they are connected because all of us are built for connection but they don't know how to invite anyone into the inner circle. This is extremely sad, especially when it comes to romantic relationships. When you don't have your boundaries right because the past hurts, you don't know how to bring a person in, and you end up with this weird, like, where do I find the partner for my life? Because Eros is passionate, as we talked about last week, and I really want some Eros, and so, get me a husband or get me a wife and it's like, oh, I don't have anyone in my inner circle. Oh, speed dating. You're picking people that you don't know. You're picking people that are unclosed to you. How do you know their ways? And why are you inviting such people into your lives? So when we have boundary violations, we start to evaluate our boundaries and we can end up with this line of like, people are too difficult to have around. I remember I was having a conversation with uh, one particular person and um, this person was saying, I was talking about you know, relationships and having the right friends in their life, etc. And this person says, but can any human being ever love me correctly? And I was like, that's a tough question. You see, what transpired is that this person had been so hurt, especially by familial relationships, by parents in particular, that this person did not believe that anyone should be allowed close because it's too dangerous. And because no one is allowed in there, This person has never actually fully experienced openness and vulnerability. But for this person, it was accurate enough to be safe. 
So what am I saying? Hurt has a way of challenging our boundaries. And if we're not careful, they will rearrange our boundaries into a very unhealthy kind of a place. And so what does the Bible teach us? And this is the fourth principle. This fourth principle sounds easy. It's probably one of the most difficult things for you to do. It is called forgiveness. It's called forgiveness. You see, some of us think that forgiveness is simply about saying, I'm sorry, and then accepting that the person is sorry, and then moving on with life. That is not what forgiveness is all about. Forgiveness is actually held in extremely high prior, uh, uh, value in Jesus' teaching. For example, after he had taught his disciples how to pray, uh, in Matthew 6, 14 to 15, Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. He also teaches us another parable, which I don't have on the screens, uh, about uh, uh, this wicked servant who was forgiven much, but then would hold another servant to a tiny little debt. And in, and that, in that picture, again, is this whole story of like, if you will not forgive, what was forgiven you will be taken back as well. So look at the Bible, look at scriptures. Forgiveness is extremely important. But I don't believe that many of us practice forgiveness accurately, because most of us try to Hear me out. Think about yourself, not about anyone else. You think you're forgiven when you don't feel anything anymore. Accurate? You think you have forgiven when you don't feel anything to the person anymore. The problem with that kind of thinking is that you think that forgiveness is the same as numbness. You know, in my life, because of difficulties, I became numb to certain things. I became numb to stress. This was how I thought I was actually, I thought I was strong because I never felt stress. I don't feel stress. I can just power through and keep going on. And I used to say this very proudly, by the way. I used to say, I know that I'm stressed when I fall sick. Years later, I found out that that is extremely stupid. That when I fall sick is because I am already overstressed because I haven't dealt with the stress that I was meant to deal with. My numbness to stress did not mean I was managing it well. It meant that I was simply unconscious of it. And forgiveness is the same thing. Forgiveness is not about not feeling anything to the person anymore. More than likely, you're numb. You've not forgiven, you're numb. And that is a very dangerous thing. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to skip forward a little bit. But Jesus teaches us how to deal with forgiveness. And he says this in Matthew 18, 15 to 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. That sounds really simple. But I want you to notice something. If someone has sinned, now the word sin, sometimes we think about it as this spiritual thing. In the Bible, the word sin actually just means fail. It means missing the mark. So when a brother or sister sins in this context against you, has missed the mark, has let down your expectations of them, right? Failed. If someone has sinned against you, it's not that they've done something spiritually, like they've cast witchcraft over you. Oh, curse you, Reese. Oh, that's sin. No, no, no. Sin is me not turning up for a meeting when we were supposed to be catching up. Yeah. 
Sin is me not remembering your birthday when you mean something so important to me. Sin is you were supposed to give someone Pietro Gelateria ice cream this morning because they are your crush, but you forgot to. That is missing the mark. All right, it's something as simple as that. It depends on how deeply you feel about it. But Jesus teaches us when someone has failed you, you go talk to them. See, the problem with most of us, we think that we are not allowed to talk to someone else. When someone has failed us and hurt us, what do we do? We retreat into our little shells and we say, God, help me to forgive the person. God, help me to forgive the person. Jesus is like, go talk to the person. And you're like, no, 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 I need to pray this because I'm too angry to talk to the person and I'm too Christian to show my anger. Oh my gosh, what kind of crazy people are you? What kind of crazy person am I? You see, the problem is that when someone has failed you, the Bible tells us to go talk to the person. What are you meant to go to talk to the person about? You're supposed to point out their fault. What is their fault? The expectation that they did not meet. I'm picking on Reese. This is not true, but I'm just picking on him because he's sitting there. So if Reese let me down by not coming to our catch-up, and I'm actually angry about it because I've wasted all my time, etc. I go to Reese and I say, hey Reese, I'm actually really upset that you didn't come for our catch-up. It made me feel as though my time is not worth it to you, and that really makes me feel like I'm not that valuable to you. Can you imagine if we actually did those conversations? Yeah. At the first time that someone hurts us, not the fifth time, not the seventh time, not the eighth time, the first time, we can actually talk it out. And so Jesus says, if they see your viewpoint, you have won them over. What is Jesus saying? That person gets to stay in your inner circle, even though they've hurt you. You don't need to change your boundary to exclude the person from membership of your inner circle. You see, what we do is that we don't talk to the person. We don't point out their fault and we adjust our boundaries and we kick more people out. That is called fear-based boundary setting. That was something I coined, so it's not found. <laughs> you got to Google fear-based boundary setting. Not found anywhere, yeah, because Nate just made it up. Um, but so many of us have this fear-based boundary setting because we don't want to go confront the person. We don't think we're allowed to. We don't think that there's being a good Christian. We are conflict avoidant. We don't like mess. Newsflash, no human being loves conflict. No one. No one likes when there's relational tension. If someone says they do, it's because they have no friends. They actually have no one in their life. I'm being serious. People who work all the time and have got no time for friends, they can end up being this negotiator who feels nothing. Yeah, bad boundaries. We all hate it, but Jesus tells us to do so. And then he goes on to say, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, when I first read this, it sounds like you gather a posse of people that will see your viewpoint, right? And then you go to this person that has hurt you and say, listen to them. You've heard them too. So all three of us hate you for disappointing us. We think that that's what, no, no, Jesus isn't saying that. In Jewish culture, what you would do is that if there is a tension between two people, you get neutral, wise people. Yeah. 
And then the two of you tell the two of them the story of what happened and let them judge who has hurt who and how that has happened, allowing there to be reconciliation. So if you don't think that the other person's going to see your viewpoint, one, have you tried? And if you have tried, good. Get neutral, wise people to come alongside. The whole point of this is the hurt that you have experienced is meant to be contained in this one relationship. It's not meant to become a stereotype of all kinds of relationship. You see, as a pastor, one of the things that I've had to face are people who have faced church hurt. And recently, that's actually become a bit of a word that people use. I have church hurt. I've been to a church, and the, the pastors hurt me. And especially because I'm a male, I'm a male authority figure, which apparently in today's Australian day and age is not a good thing, just simply because I am male. And so I have faced people, I've sat down with people who have come from a place where they have been hurt by their previous church and their previous pastors, who haven't dealt with their hurt, who have not got to a place of forgiveness, and they sit down with me and you can see that they have placed me on the outside already. Not because of anything I've done, but because I represent a male pastor. I've even sat down with someone after years of building relationship and building trust, and I said to this person, and this person was talking about the hurt that they had faced and, and how this person doesn't trust male authority figures. And I said to this person, because I was literally sitting there, and this person was talking as though I wasn't there. And I was like, I'm here. Hey, am I male? Yes. Am I a pastor? Yes. Am I an authority figure? Yes. So does this mean that you don't like me? I literally asked. I'm not even joking. Does this mean that you don't like me? And this person said, oh, you're different. You're the exception. You passed the test. And I was like, ah, there was a test? Apparently there was one. I passed it, by the way. And, and this is a sad thing. I think I'm the rule, not the exception. This person thinks I'm the exception and not the rule. What does this tell me? That the hurt that this person has founded, has, has felt, has so become a stereotype that all male pastors are bad, unless they pass the test. But I'm, if they, even if they pass the test, it means they are the exception and not the rule. And this person goes from church to church, and every time there isn't, there, even if there is this tiny little inkling that a male leader is going to disappoint this person, this person's going, see, male authority figure, classic, always going to let people down. We allow our stereotypes to help us deal with the world rather than boundaries that are set healthily according to the Word of God. And so forgiveness is about going to the person and dealing with it. Let's keep going on because I'm running out of time. And this is after you've established what has taken place, who has hurt who. And this is the thing, right? Sometimes you don't even need to go to the person per se, but you need to acknowledge the hurt that you have faced. The biggest thing about forgiveness that most people don't do is that they haven't acknowledged what the actions have meant to them. They haven't said, this has hurt me deeply because this made me feel small. The reason why human beings don't do that is because we have something called an ego. And this is not necessarily a bad thing, it's our sense of self. And all of us want to protect our sense of self. It is the most vulnerable, it's the most intimate, it's the, it's the softest part of us, our sense of self. And so when someone has hurt us, why we don't acknowledge the hurt is because if I don't acknowledge the hurt, 
It's not there. Psychologically speaking, that is what happens. And so we do need to acknowledge the hurt. And finally, it says, if they still refuse to listen, verse 17, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, to treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Basically, the whole church is like, it, it, it's establishing it with witnesses, establishing it with authority figures, basically. Um, it, and, and if they don't listen, treat them as pagans or tax collectors. Sorry, you got cut off in the slide. But basically, what that is all about is that you're not supposed to treat them as bad people necessarily. But think about how Jesus will relate to the Pharisees and to the tax collectors. Jesus actually related to them. Jesus actually still cared for them. He just didn't have them in the inner circle. Some of you need to move one person out of your inner circle, but make sure that you don't change the boundary. Does that make sense? Forgiveness is acknowledging the hurt, speaking out the hurt, and trying to find reconciliation. One of the things that I've found is that most of the time that when we carry hurt, the other person doesn't even know that they've hurt us. And when the other person knows that they have hurt us, they are so like, wow, I did not know that that happened. And so there we go. We need to have healthy boundaries. And in order to maintain healthy boundaries, we need to practice forgiveness. Jesus told his disciples, Peter came up to him, good old Peter, said, how many times do I need to forgive my neighbor? Seven times? Jesus says seven, 70 times seven times. Depends on the translation, but basically he was saying, you keep forgiving. Why do we need to keep forgiving? It's because people will hurt us. And we can choose to live this kind of life with just a nebulous friend zone with everyone in it and no one on the inside. Or we can learn how to open ourselves up through forgiveness and say, yeah, people are going to let me down, but I'm going to open up again. And this is something that is so difficult for us. This is something that reminds us of the hurt, makes us feel vulnerable and weak, makes us feel smaller than we want to feel. And because this person has hurt us, Feel like I'm going to rave because this person has hurt us we don't want them to know that we've been hurt and so we end up not forgiving just feeling numb not releasing just holding on in a subconscious part of our world and let me just talk about this briefly as we finish our time sometimes we don't acknowledge the hurt because we understand that the other person was well-meaning or the situation that brought about the hurt is not one where you can logically place blame on the other person. What do I mean? Um, I have worked with some people, people who have been traumatized by things like death of um, parents. And one of the situations that came up that was really interesting is that this orphan could not acknowledge the hurt that she received because her parents died. And it's a terrible thing to know a loved one dying, a parent dying. And this person was sitting with me and saying, it's not their fault. I said, it might not be their fault, 
but what hurt did you receive? It's, like, it's not about the hurt that I receive, it's about the fact that this person died. So why am I angry at this person? Why am I angry at my parent who died? It's not their fault that they died. It's not anything that I can control. It's not anything that they could control. It's not anything, it doesn't make sense that I'm angry. So we had to slow down and say, what did you lose? I lost my childhood. I had to look after my siblings. I lost my childhood. I lost my sense of security. I didn't have a home anymore. I got moved around from place to place. I didn't have a normal childhood. I didn't have a normal life. I didn't have any of those. I didn't know who to trust. People kept moving me around. And I said to this person, and that was because your mum died. And finally, she acknowledged that the pain that she received was because her mum died. There was unforgiveness because there was unacknowledged hurt. That's a pretty extreme example. I hope that most of you have not encountered that kind of hurt. But what I'm trying to say is this. Even if it doesn't make sense, the hurt is there. Even if the situation doesn't... You're, you're not trying to blame the person. You're not trying to make the person pay back. You're simply acknowledging that you have been hurt. And there's so many hurt Christians with terrible boundaries because they're so scared of other people. You can't have a healthy relationship with unforgiveness. So we can get the band up this morning. I know our time is fast coming to an end. I know this is a pretty heavy topic for some. I know this is not an easy topic for many people. But if you want healthy relationships, you need healthy boundaries. And if you want healthy boundaries, you need to practice forgiveness. See, one of the things about God is that in His great love for us, even though we are the ones that failed Him, not lived up to His expectations, He allowed Jesus to die on the cross so that that relationship can be repaired once again. See, some of us might even be struggling with forgiving ourselves for the things that we've done. We don't even see ourselves as able to come close to God. We leave God out of our inner circle because we don't think that God could ever love us. But right now, I want to say to you that God has done everything necessary to bring you back into relationship with Him. And so if I can just pray right now with anyone that would like to receive the forgiveness of God and to be in right relationship with God once again. You just have to repeat this prayer after me. So every eye close, every head bow. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I know I have sinned. I know I have fallen short. But I want your forgiveness. I know that you died on the cross for me. So wash me clean and make me whole. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.